Podcast with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Bietti. Leslie Kane, you're one of those rare people who have come into the UFO field with a background in traditional journalism. I have to say, I do have a background in traditional broadcast journalism, but I'm looking at your credits and you have covered a whole gamut of very mainstream things. So what led you to this crazy universe of ours? Thanks. Well, that's a that's an interesting question. As you said, I was just a kind of what the, I might call a normal journalist. You know, I was I had covered a range of topics in freelance uh, media. I mean, published in a lot of newspapers like the Boston Globe and the Providence Journal and a whole range of newspapers before I came across this subject. And I also was working for a public radio station in Berkeley, California, KPFA Radio, producing and hosting a daily news program. So I was very active in sort of covering progressive news stories. And what happened was a colleague from France sent me an English translation in the mail of the Cometa report out of France. Now, I don't know if your listeners need an explanation as to what that report is, or can we assume that everybody knows? Yeah, I think we can assume people know. Okay. So that report was sent to me, and this was an English translation. That, but the Fund for UFO Research did an English translation, but I, I ended up with one before it was released to anybody else. And this colleague in France said to me, this is your story. This is an exclusive. We're not giving it to anybody else. Here it is. And I had had a little bit of an interest in UFOs over the years. I'd read you know, Whitley Strieber's book, Communion, when it came out, and I'd read things here and there. And was sort of curious, but that was it. I, you know, never thought that I would end up pursuing it in any way. When this report came across my desk, I was really kind of blown away by it because um, the report was written by such high-level people, as your listeners know, you know, generals and admirals, five, four or five generals, admiral, high-level pe- people in the scientific community, a police chief, the former head of NASA, the equivalent of NASA in France, I mean the French NASA, and as a journalist, you know, these are these are the kinds of people that you listen to. Um, these are the kinds of sources that are the best sources you can possibly have for a story. Sure. And what these people said after studying the UFO phenomenon for three years and looking only at official cases and pilot cases was that they believe the best, uh, you know, hypothesis for to explain the good cases, the ones that are well enough documented to determine that they really are unknown cases. The best explanation for those is what they call the extraterrestrial hypothesis. And, you know, any as a journalist, I just thought this is news, you know, that you have people of this stature coming out with a statement like that. And I, I just was amazed by the report, and then I decided, you know, I'm going to write, because I've written a lot of freelance stories before, so I said, okay, my next story is going to be about this. Hmm. But I knew that it was very loaded, and I was very nervous about doing it, because I think it was in the year 1999 where this happened, and I think, or the fall, maybe, yeah, the, the fall of 99, and I think there was a lot more ridicule associated with the subject then in the media than there is now. I mean, I think we've we've come a distance, but I was very worried about ridicule, so I kept the whole process secret of my writing the story. I didn't tell any of my colleagues at the radio station, and I just began researching it, you know, as background for the story about the Cometa report, and I consulted with some people and eventually published the story in the Boston Globe, which came out that spring, and it was a it was just such a major undertaking because of the fears that I had and the difficulty of getting it published. It was just extraordinarily difficult to get it published. And that's a whole story into itself. But once I did that story and the UFO community went nuts and they were so thrilled that an actual, you know, regular journalist had taken on the subject and given it serious coverage, 
I just got such an overwhelming response, and I was definitely hooked by that point. I was hooked on this subject. And so ever since then, I've kind of dropped everything else and focused exclusively on this, pretty much. How did your colleagues respond once the article came out and now you were basically uh, on the record? Uh, Well, they were pretty, I mean, they were respectful because when something comes out in the Boston Globe, which is a, you know, very high-level paper, and the story was a serious story, I mean, they, they interjected a little bit a little slight edge to it in certain places that I wasn't happy with, but I couldn't object to it. But the point is, my colleagues at the radio station, they still thought it was a weird subject. They still thought it didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, that it probably, I mean, they, they weren't that open to it, quite honestly, but they were respectful of my effort and my the fact that I did the story. I was actually permitted at KPFA to do a program about it after the story came out. To do, you know, on our on my radio program, I was able to do a, a segment on UFOs, but the subject, the whole station was very close to the whole subject matter. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because it's sort of a progressive, a leftist-oriented station, and I think people in that community are often more closed-minded than, than others because they already feel marginalized. Mm-hmm. And so they felt kind of, they, they want to be very careful about doing anything that's going to make them bring ridicule on them. So there was a lot of issues around it, but I, I felt much better about sort of coming out of the closet about it after the story came out, because I never knew from the beginning whether I'd even be able to get it published. And that was one reason why I didn't want to talk about it before it actually happened. But um, now I just feel so comfortable with the subject. You know, then I was, when I think back on it, I was very, very nervous and, you know, insecure about doing it and thought I was taking a big risk just career-wise. But it's turned out to be okay, and I have no regrets, absolutely no regrets about doing it. That's probably more than Gene and I can say about doing the Paracast. You have regrets? Yeah, I think, uh, well, I I know that at times that I do. Gene, I think, had been involved with this a lot longer than 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 I have. He goes uh-huh. back way, 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 like 150 years. In well, stuff. actually, it's before the dinosaurs ruled the Earth. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, jeez. I mean, I, I do find it difficult, and there's no question right. about that. In terms of just the public image of the UFO, you know, when you're at parties and people ask you what you do, that kind of situation, and you have to talk about, you know, that you cover UFOs. I mean, I don't like that part of it. You know what was funny is I worked as a broadcast news director when I was much, much younger. We, mm-hmm. of course, date this back to the 1970s. And I didn't make a secret of my UFO interest, and I didn't, you know, mm-hmm. publicize it either. I just kind of just treat it normally and they must have assumed at the radio station that look this guy steinberg is crazy so let him do what he wants to do and as long as i got the paycheck and as long as i got regular raises it was okay now today Did you actually cover the subject i mean actually or was it just a kind personal of, interest you had well there was a ufo flap in pennsylvania in the 70s and i covered it i didn't make a big emphasis of it i treated it like a normal news story and nobody bothered me so what could i say good well congratulations now, was it a one shot that you did for the Boston Globe, or what was the reaction like on the part of the public, and did that make them interested in potentially pursuing the topic a little more seriously, the actual newspaper? You mean the Globe? And well, I don't think so, unfortunately. I mean, it was you know, again, it was a freelance article. It wasn't done by one of their own staff, mm-hmm. and I was hoping that it would, but I, you know, I really don't think so, unfortunately. I mean, there was a big reaction at the time among people who were interested in UFOs. I'm not sure. I really have no way of knowing about the general public, you know. All I know about is the response I got from emails and the response that the paper got, which was extremely positive. 
But, you know, every time I do a story, and I've done many stories since, there's always this wave of excitement, and then life just goes on, you know what I mean? Right, right. Isn't that true for pretty much any kind of article you're going to write? I guess so, unless it, unless it's something that somehow breaks the barrier that we have through the official acknowledgement, you know, which is so much what I'm trying to do now is get more, work more in interesting people in official places in the subject because they're really, the bottom line is they're the only, if we want to change policy, they're the, they're the ones we have to bring in. And the public is pretty much already convinced about this anyway. So, my focus has become much more uh, from the kind of jur- regular journalism and just getting things published into trying to do, trying to access more the people in power, and that's what part of what the press conference is trying to do in last November, and this this document that I put together for that, which is a, a document signed by people from around the world requesting that the U.S. government open a new investigation. And my next task is to sort of, I don't know if you're familiar with that document, but I'm trying to get, I'm going to be working with people to try to get that into the right hands and seeing if we can get some action on that front. So I guess I've gone from, I'm a journalist, I'm still a journalist, but I've also become a little more of an activist in the subject than I was yeah, that's at the beginning. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. I mean, it sounds like you're much more proactive than a typical journalist would be. I think that's probably, I guess they call it, there's a name for this kind of journalism, I forget. <laughs> Justice <laughs> journalism, or you know, there's a name for journalists that are sort of really behind a cause. Yeah. And um, that's kind of the way I am, even though I, I still write straightly, straight journalistic articles. But well, the last one I did was a piece, last year I did a piece on the O'Hare Airport incident, and then I did another one about Fife Symington's uh, coming out about his sighting of the UFO in 1997. So those are the two recent stories that I did. And they're still written as straight stories, but I, I sort of see what more and more about what needs to happen if we're ever going to get any movement on this. At least so, the way I see it, you know. Well, how do you think we can get movement on this ultimately? Because this has been a tremendous source of frustration. Absolutely. Obviously. Well, I mean, my goal, I think, and I've, this is partly what I've gleaned from talking with high-level people in other countries, is if we can get the U.S. government to open its own investigation again, like it had, you know, like it closed in 69. Of course, we don't want a repeat of what the problems mm-hmm. were with Project Blue right. Book, but we want some kind of investigation where, uh, you know, a government body that will take that on and that it will be, the information will be available to the public in a way that it wasn't in the Project Blue Book, you know, ideally. But the way I see it is if we can get a government, official government office to to investigate UFO cases, that's a major breakthrough. And the, the countries around the world that have such an entity, like France, Belgium, the United Kingdom, and some of the South American countries, I've spoken to people from those countries, like, you know, high-level people, and they all feel that if America did a similar thing, which would be to have their own investigative unit, it would it would greatly affect the whole world's ability to properly investigate the UFO subject. You know, just one fact, fast comment, yeah. Leslie. Of course, yeah. back in the late 60s, we had congressional hearings, and then we got the Condon Report, which is considered pretty much a whitewash. I'm going to ask you what you felt about that and whether there are chances, real chances, of faring better this time. But first... We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on hand, and he has a special offer for listeners of the Paracast. Hi, Gene Dave. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. 
Here's our special offer, because we love Gene and Dave and the Paracast. We are offering six issues for the price of five. Normally, when you send me a subscription for $19.95, a new subscription, you get five issues. It's our introductory offer. But just for our friends on the Paracast and friends of Gene and Dave, we're going to throw in an extra issue and give you six issues for the price of five. That's six issues for $19.99. Just for you. How do we take advantage of this offer? There are three ways to take advantage of it. One is, if you're online, go to www.ufomag.com. Hit subscribe when you come to the PayPal page. Just put in under item, Paracast Offer, 1995, and I will know that you get six issues for the price of five, or you could send your check or money order to UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California. That's Ray spelled R-E-Y, California, 90295. Put down your name and your address, and on your name and address label, put down Paracast offer. You can also put it on your check for 1995 in your money order. I will know exactly what it means because I'm psychic, and I will credit you with six issues instead of five for that 1995. Or you can call me at 1-888-UFO-6242. Leave me a message. I will call you back. Or if I'm in the office, I'll pick up and just say, hi, I'm a friend of Jeans and Dave's. I listen to the Paracast. Here's my special offer, and I will take your name and address and your credit card and send you six issues for the price of five. And that's how you do it. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. You're in the Paracast. Gene Steinberg and David Bietany, investigative journalist Leslie Kane, joining us. She's responsible for an organization called the Coalition for Freedom of Information. And I have a bunch of questions to ask you about that in a moment, too. But what do you think about that? The fact that, yeah, maybe we can get the government to investigate it, but how do you avoid the whitewash again? I, it's a really good question. I mean, and you know, I'm I'm not an expert on it. I, all I know is that hopefully it could be set up. The bylaws, the mission of the organization, the way it's structured, would would be set up in such a way to kind of prevent that from the very beginning. Is what I would hope. And I've actually consulted with Nick Pope from the UK, who was head of their UFO department, and you probably know who he is. Oh, sure. About this, and we've actually talked about structural issues about how such an entity might be structured. And there's a lot that I have to learn about that. But the point is, one would hope that if it, if it were going to happen from the very beginning, it would be set up in such a way as to avoid the problems that we had before. 
that's just all I can say about it at this point. But there's, this, you know, we have to learn how to make that happen and how to how that properly would happen. So it's a process of, of research and understanding the best way to go about it at this point. And of so, course, we will welcome input from anybody who has ideas about that. Listen, um, you know, one possibility is to have a liaison with a with a university and have people that are monitoring what goes on and. You know, it's a lot of complicated structural issues that need to be thought through before something like this is set up. What do you say to people, Leslie, who would say, okay, um, this is all very interesting, but given the challenges that we face as a country right now, politically, economically, uh, sociologically, how do you justify the prioritization of this over other perhaps more pressing topics? Well, I mean, I, I guess I'm not asking this to be prioritized over anything else. I'm just asking this to be one among many issues that are undertaken by our government. Mm -hmm. And I believe that it would not cost that much, actually, to set up an office. I just don't think it would cost all that much. You might have a staff of three or four people, even, you know, just a small office. Like it could be at NASA. It could be in the Air Force. We don't know. But given the large budgets that these government agencies have, I don't think that adding this office to that budget is really going to cost that much or take away from something else. And I wouldn't want it to. I agree with you. We have incredibly pressing issues that we need to be dealing with. So I, I don't see it as being a, a huge a huge deal, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just means that when something happened, like what happened at O'Hare Airport last November, November of 06, mm -hmm. you would have an agency that could would have the resources to, to properly investigate that event. And it would be made public. That's all that would happen. And when you have civilian groups trying to do that, they don't have access to the right information. They don't have the right tools. Right. They don't have the right training to be able to pick up the phone and get the data they need to properly investigate something, which is only a government agency can do that. Sure. So, you well, know, it, I, I don't think it's a, that it would cost that much to do that, quite honestly. But, you know. Perhaps, perhaps not economically, but politically, that maybe that's a whole other question. Now, some of the listeners of the show I, I know are hearing what you just said and they're thinking to themselves, you know, there's a good chance perhaps that there is a government organization that's investigating these things. Maybe it's an isolated group inside of the military that does investigations, takes this information and buries it. So the question there is, how do you feel we should go about trying to get levels of communication happening within the government where maybe we're talking about compartmentalization of the kind that even if the, let's say, NASA was given the mandate to do investigation into this area, perhaps NASA then turns around and says, well, you know what, we'd love to do this, but whoever holds the keys to the pantry is not handing them over. Now, how do you deal with that problem? You mean whoever, whoever holds the keys to more of the sort of inside information that may have been covered up? Is that what you mean by the keys? Uh, absolutely. One of the things I think of is that infamous memo that, that J. Edgar Hoover had written saying we want to get access to those disks. Now, I've always thought if there was one guy inside the government of the United States during the 20th century that had more power than anybody, it would probably have to be J. Edgar Hoover. Here he was, the head of the FBI. And he, in, uh, on paper, went on record, you know, putting down, I want to get those discs. Right. I think he even put it as plural. Now, if a guy like Hoover, who had, you know, the skeletons in every, I mean, he knew where every skeleton was in every closet, if he couldn't pry some of that information out of whatever group was holding it, how do we then go about this task of, A, trying to identify where in the government this information is compartmentalized, and B, how to get somebody to let it go? 
Well, it's a really good question, and I guess the way I'm, and I agree with you that that's a problem. I mean, we also had President Clinton, of course, trying to get information, and he mm -hmm. couldn't, right? And Jimmy Carter also tried to get NASA to, you know, do an official investigation. I have copies of all this correspondence between right. the White House and NASA. So it's a major problem. But I guess if we were to open an agency now, if the government said, okay, we will start investigating UFOs from here on out, and we're going to set up an office and do it the way France does it. Really what this would mean is that when, it, when an incident happens, when people, you know, they get, they'd start getting reports from people of, of sightings and events and cases and so on. And what it would really mean is that from here on out, they would start investigating things as they occurred. And they would be the official body that would get the, this is an ideal scenario, of course, would sure. get the absolute scoop and the absolute final, you know, report on the on an incident. Let's just say O'Hare, you know, they would come out with a report and they wouldn't cover it up by saying it's weather, mm -hmm. ideally. Right. I mean, we, we all this stuff, this is just assuming we can somehow structure it so that those kinds of cover-ups don't happen. For they don't sure. have access to all the hidden information that I agree with you must be there. They can still go about investigating cases that come along and, and accumulating files and accumulating reports from people who call them in. And start to go out in the field and really, you know, and then maybe there'll be some case that would be some kind of breakthrough case where it's it's so evident that this is extraterrestrial or it's so evident, you know, that, that somehow it just sort of breaks it wide open. And then it, it doesn't matter that much if they don't have the keys to the inside information. Well, you know what? There are a couple of obviously interesting scenarios here, and that is, number one, what does the government really know about UFOs? I don't mean stuff with regard to the Freedom of Information Act, because I know going back into, what, the 70s and 80s, lawyer Peter Gersten was working mm -hmm. with Common Cause, a UFO organization, to get data. But we could see ongoing interest in the subject, but there was no smoking gun there at all. And the question I would have here is, in the event the government knew what was going on, and would they really consent to suddenly release that information, forgetting whether UFOs are extraterrestrial, extra-dimensional, whatever they are, Mm -hmm. Forget about the cause for the moment. Let's look at the investigation. What makes anyone think that they would be inclined to want to tell us because this has supposedly been kept at the highest level secret? Of course, it may be the other possibility being, of course, that UFOs, they don't know what causes them and they don't want to admit that we have things in our atmosphere that they can't identify and they can't combat if necessary. Right. Now, that, that's probably the reason behind it. Yeah. It's a really good question, and I don't know. I don't know if they'll ever want to admit it. But all I can do in my little limited way right now is to take the step that I feel is the next step towards moving us towards that in some way. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I can't answer all those big questions. It just seems to me that the next step that we could take, which would be productive, would be to try to get the U.S. government to open an official office investigating UFOs. And that's just sort of something I've taken on, but, you know, I don't know the answer to your question whether and but you know but hopefully if this office was set up properly and run by people who really had the right attitude toward the subject and the right intent then at least if some incident happened like O'Hare we might be able to get some interesting investigations done the other concern i have is why entrust the government with anything because the government is incompetent that's part of government government is incompetent they never do things efficiently and even when they try to do things efficiently, it doesn't always come out the way they expect. What about a private organization? I don't mean traditional UFO organizations because we've tried that for 50 years. hasn't worked out right. 
But I mean mm-hmm. taking people like a Dr. Jacques Vallée, a distinguished scientist and computer scientist, people like that, and get him the research grants, get him involved with the universities to do the real hard research that's necessary to find out what's going on. Because if you put it in the government's hands again, I have no faith whatever it's going to work. Yeah, I mean, I can see that perspective, and I guess what I'm, first of all, the, the grants have not been able to be, you know, all these years, these people like Jacques Vallée and Peter Sturrock and these excellent people, Bernie Heisch is another scientist, they just haven't been able to get the grants. We've seen that it just hasn't happened. And what one thought we had was if, if this body does get set up by the U.S. government, people like Jacques Vallée would be involved. There would be some kind of a board of people, of, of scientists that would be working with this agency. And hopefully, if this agency is set up, this is another reason to set it up, regardless of, you know, your point is well taken that there could be problems with it. But by setting up this agency, the U.S. government would be acknowledging that there is something here worthy of study, right? Which is what the, what the um, Air Force denied when it closed Project Blue Book. It said there's nothing here worthy of study. But for the U.S. government to make that statement, it would actually facilitate grants going more to it, to people like Jack Vallee. Because the government would be giving the subject credibility just by the very act of setting up the agency. I understand that. I understand that. By doing that, that more grants would come to scientists just as a result of that event happening and also that these scientists could be associated with this office to try to keep it in line and also to benefit financially so that they too can independently and with a link to this agency uh, do their own work on it. So, I mean, you know, I, I agree with all the potential problems that lie ahead. All the points you're making are well taken, but I still think that the it, you know it's worth pursuing to try to make it happen as best that we can and to see if we can overcome a lot of the potential problems but i think it can only be a positive step one of the reasons i think this is cuz i've talked to people who run the agencies in other countries for instance in france you know, I've met with the people who run their agency, which has been hugely successful. And yes, I agree that government agencies are often incompetent, but I don't think they're always, always across the board incompetent. And the one in France has, has really been successful and has done a great job. And I would sort of like to use that as a model for what we might be able to set up in America. Let's, so, let's you know, I have a lot to learn about all of this, too. I can't answer all your questions. I'm not an expert on this any more than you guys are or anybody else is. You know, I just sort of have made some connections that give me the possibility of possibly making this happen. If it's ever going to happen, you know, I think I have a shot at it. That's all. Well, let's talk for a moment about the definition of success, Leslie. You, You mentioned a moment ago that the French government has had success with what they've done. So how do you qualify success? I mean, they put out the Cometa report. You know, they no, that wasn't some... the French government that did that. That was an independent report. Oh, right. Okay, that was an independent report. So the yeah. French government has released their records, if I'm not wrong, in the last year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they released their records. So ultimately, you have the release of those records. What did that accomplish, do you think? Well, what I'm thinking about is not so much the release of the records, but just over the years, when a case comes up in France, when an incident occurs, the French government has this agency which is linked to all these officials around the country, including psychologists and anybody that would need to be utilized to properly investigate a case are all there and ready. And they go out and they investigate the cases. And they do it, they do it with a sophisticated, trained body of, of people that are standing by to do it with them. And I guess that's the model that I'm, that's what I'm talking about. They have um, board meetings twice a year with this whole group of people from a range of disciplines that are all weighing in on 
how they go about investigating cases. And so that makes a lot of sense to me. And they have the resources. They're able to tap into the resources that only government agencies have and the ability to, to get things done in a way that civilians just can't do. Today, whether you're in business or simply want to share something with friends or family, email and voicemail sometimes just aren't enough. That's why you should try GoToMeeting, a web conferencing solution that will revolutionize how you communicate with your business associates, family, and friends. The ability to host online meetings is an absolute must for today's business. With GoToMeeting.com, it's just like you're all in the same room. Unlimited meetings for one flat rate means you can meet as often as you want for as long as you need. Try it yourself, free for 30 days. Just visit gotomeeting.com forward slash tech podcasts. That's gotomeeting.com forward slash tech podcasts. Try GoToMeeting free today. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the podcast. Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Viedney, and we are talking to Leslie Kane, and she's an investigative journalist and involved in an organization called the Coalition for Freedom of Information. What kind of freedom of information? Well, information with regard to UFOs. David, the thing there, Leslie, is when you know, we talk about um, you know having an organization that can sort of focus the efforts of. of uh, of research on a sort of a theoretical level that makes perfect sense and gene and i would be completely supportive i think anybody with an honest interest in this would say now that's a great idea at the same time if we look at the current reality on the side of the ufo research world and i'm kind of loosely calling it that what we find is um, you have a lot of people playing games of proprietary information you have people who uh, sort of glom on to a pet theory and ride it through. What you don't seem to have is any kind of objectivity. Do you think setting up a government organization to handle reports and to then try to sort of vent that information to the proper resources and channels to maybe get some deeper understanding, do you, do you think that an organization like that at the governmental level, at the federal level, could have objectivity, or would it just potentially become another political tool? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. All we can do is try our best to assure that it does. Mm-hmm. I mean, human nature is human nature. Right. You know, we can. We all we can do is hope that it does, and do our very best to create a structure which will and get the right kind of people involved. You know, and all I can do is just sort of do the best. You know, any all of us who are involved with this can do the best we can to try to make that happen. I mean, you know, there's all there's of course always going to be potential problems, but I don't think that means one should stop doing Absolutely. something that, you know, Absolutely. could be helpful. So, so how did you connect with James Fox then? Because he's someone we've had on the show is mm-hmm. out of the blue, is just a fantastic documentary, maybe the best documentary ever done on a topic. How did you originally connect with him? Um, originally, it was because I was actually interviewed for the Out of the Blue. I'm, I'm in the section about the Cometa report because they interviewed me having done the story in the Boston Globe. Mm-hmm. 
And so I met him at that point years ago, and I was I also was uh, very friendly with Tim Coleman, who was another producer on that movie, the director. And they, you know, they were showing. I remember being a consultant on it. They when they were creating it, they would show me bits and ask my opinion and stuff like that. And so I've just sort of been a you know association with him for years. And when he had this idea of doing the uh, press conference, he just called me up. I'd never done a project with him like this before. I mean, he called me up last early. I think it was early August and asked me if I would co-produce this thing with him. You know, we did it. I mean, it was really not very much time. I was, you know, shocked that he had already set it up for November. When he called me, he'd already picked the date and already reserved the space and everything. Oh, boy. So we had a few months, and it was really, really intense. I'm telling you, more than full-time work to get make this thing happen. But it was a great experience to work with James. He's, he's, I agree with you. His film is excellent. I think his next film is going to be even better. He's doing another film, which is going to be out fairly soon. And um, that's the one, it's sort of a remake of Out of the Blue, but it, most of it's going to be brand new material. So Really? We don't know about yeah. that. Yeah, no, this is a film, um, I don't know if you've seen the Larry King Live segments he's been on, but they've made oh, references yeah. to that. They've been calling it um, Beyond the Blue or something. Oh, right, sort of, yes. Yeah, sort of a working title. I don't know if that's going to be the title, but he's basically uh, built this new movie around the press conference. He's sort of going to have the press conference as the core and he's going to take off into different various countries and different cases, you know, using the press conference as sort of the heart of the movie. Um, and some of the material will be extracted from the original Out of the Blue, but a lot of it will be new. So I've been working with him on that film as well. I'm much more involved with that film than I was with Out of the Blue, actually, but I've been working with him as a producer on that. You know, the press conference was just part of the work I'm doing with him on the new film. So in so. the press conference, you, you guys really kind of focused on military witnesses right yeah i guess military witnesses and government officials who have investigated ufos that aren't necessarily mm -hmm. military but yes that's correct and pilots right in other words basically uh sort of staying away from any kind of anything we would ever dub folklore over on the you know sort of the that side of the fence you're sort of keeping it which i think is actually by the way a good idea in terms of what you're doing i think you're keeping it such that you're talking about witnesses who are pilots who have got to be better observers than the average Joe. And that was something, by the way, Leslie, um, I think it was the first time that James and uh, Stan Friedman were on Larry King's show. Mm -hmm. It was Michael Shermer that made the statement that uh, I found absolutely outrageous. And, and it's amazing that uh, King didn't call him on it, where, where he said that pilots, that, that trained pilots were no better observers of these kinds of unusual, any kind of aerial phenomena than... Um, a standard Joe on the street. And, and that was just an incredible thing. Do you find that you get those kinds of objections that just make no sense when you try to talk about this in a realistic way? No, I mean, I, I agree with you. That was an outrageous comment. And it wasn't just Michael Sherman. Did you see the second guy they had? I think his name's oh, James Magaha. Oh, God. Oh. I, are you sure it was Shermer that said that? It wasn't Magaha? It, it was Shermer, actually. Yeah, it was Shermer. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, I mean, these guys, you're right. They just make these outrageous statements. And I think it was Phil Class that wrote some papers about how pilots are poor observers. I mean, well, I, don't I don't know. know. <laughs> I'm starting to read here the stuff that planes are nearly crashing into each other, but then that might be the fault of the air traffic controllers, not the pilots. Exactly. No, I mean, it's a, I agree with you. It's a ludicrous statement. I mean, it just it's only common sense tells us that pilots are among the best observers because they're trained 
They're trained to distinguish among all these different aircraft. Plus, they're up in the sky much closer to these things than we are when we're on the ground. So, yeah, I mean, and, they're, and they also are not going to get any reason to want to make something up the way some guy on the street might. Right. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. I agree, I agree with you. And I don't come up against this very often. I mean, the only reason you come up against it is when Larry King brings these guys on, you know. So James has to deal with them. James did a one-on-one debate with Magaha on, on Larry King. On the, I guess it was the night of the press conference. So that's the only time they ever come around is when you see them, you know, they get called into these TV shows or something. But I've never personally dealt with any of these guys. Well, the problem I see also with the press conferences, and I'm saying the press conference brought out a lot of good information, but it gets coverage for two days and then we're back to something else. You know, it's yesterday's news. The mainstream press, we can say, well, they're being controlled by, of course, the government or, of course, they're more basically corporate entities. They're not interested mm-hmm. in yesterday's news. It has to be today. It has to be today. Tabloid journalism is everything. Today, it's Britney Spears or the tart of the month. It is the controversy between the presidential candidates. It's whether we're going to revote the primaries in Florida and Michigan. They're not talking about UFOs. That UFO conference is yesterday's news, and that's the problem. You get the splash of coverage. The same thing with the Disclosure Project. Tried these press conferences a couple of times, and it's the same thing. They just don't get past that level. I know. It's a problem. I agree with you. And there's always the hope that some, you know, journalist from the Washington Post or some really, you know, accomplished investigative reporter who works for a major news outlet, which is the situation. My problem is that I don't have an outlet like that. Yeah, you would hope that they would spend months investigating the subject after hearing what these people had to say at the press conference. But that doesn't happen. And I agree with you. There's this blast of news, and it got a lot of it got covered all over the world. I mean, you can only hope that every time something like that happens, even though the media seems to drop it, as far as we can see, that somehow, and you know, it's affecting the minds of people that read the articles when they come out, and that it leaves some kind of impression, and you know, moves something forward in the bigger context. But there's no real way to know. But I have heard a lot of people say that the you know they they were aware of the press conference and that it made an impression on them and we just hope that it elevated the subject in some way even though it was short lived a lot of people did pay attention to it at the time. You know I want to look at your organization that you set up here the Coalition for Freedom of Information. Now you have there Stan Gordon, um, investigator from Pennsylvania. You yeah, well, have, he's a he's a consultant, right? Okay, that we have him? right. You have yeah. a consultant. You have a lawyer. You have a gentleman from the Sci-Fi Channel, Larry Landsman. What's his mm-hmm. particular function? He was actually one of the people who was instrumental in, in the very beginning, myself and him and a, and a staffer from the Podesta Mattoon uh, public relations firm were the people that set this thing up originally. And Larry Landsman was the one who actually got me involved with the whole Kecksburg thing. So um, because the Sci-Fi Channel was behind it at the beginning, they were the ones that sort of initiated the whole effort with the Freedom of Information Act and set up the organization. So basically Larry's role now is just as a colleague and consultant. I mean, I'm sort of the one that does the on-the-ground work for CFI. But Larry's a major player in that he sort of stands behind me and, and he's involved. He knows about everything I'm doing and he's an important consultant for me. And um, that's sort of his role. cares a lot about what's going on and is willing to help in any way that he can. So um, and the whole Sci-Fi Channel is supportive of the work we're doing. But physically, what are they doing? Physically? Yeah. Um, what do you mean by actual, what do you mean by physically? Well, um, I mean in terms of 
publicizing your particular efforts on the Sci-Fi Channel programs in helping you get more information, that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, the, the Sci-Fi Channel did two documentaries. Well, they did one major one and then a, and a one where they did a little more. On the, on the whole Kecksburg investigation, that was a couple of years ago. They did these special shows on it. And then when we did a symposium at George Washington University, which is all on the website under the science section, which um, I think it was maybe in 02 or 03, we did a symposium at George Washington University where we brought in a lot of scientists, including Jacques Vallée, who you had mentioned earlier, and did a kind of panel discussion about UFOs and aerial phenomenon, phenomena in terms of, uh, you know, we called it science fiction or science fact, and we had this panel discussion. And the Sci-Fi Channel did a program on that, putting information out on their channel. And they've just um, been helpful over the years in terms of, um, you know, doing press releases, helping with press releases when we have events. They helped create the press release we did for the press conference, for instance. Larry Landsman did. So, they, you know, they're just sort of there to weigh in on whatever is going on. And basically, and that's what they'll—that's what they'll do. It's not just about getting things out on the Sci-Fi Channel, but it's—it's it's more working with a team of people that are knowledgeable about publicity and about how to make things happen, and are well connected. And so, they can always play an important role in that way. So while you were describing that, Leslie, something something occurred to me, and and I don't know if you've ever dealt with this, but it's interesting that you mentioned the Sci-Fi Channel has been supportive of this. Um, have you ever received negative feedback from people saying, you know, that's great that the Sci-Fi Channel helps you, but Sci-Fi means science fiction, and it almost then sounds like perhaps, and again, I understand you, you take the help where you can get it, that makes perfect sense to me, but is there any kind of a, sort of a negative backlash when you've got the Sci-Fi Channel, which is about science fiction? Do you think that in any way is detrimental to try to get the conversation to be that this is real stuff. No, it's a good point, and that's something that I was concerned about from the very beginning when I started working with this whole group, which involved the Sci-Fi Channel. And I just I haven't found it to really be a problem. I was very concerned about it for exactly the reasons that you said. But they sort of tried to keep themselves in the background. I mean, Larry Lanzman, you know, he's he'll help me all the time with stuff, but he's never public about that. And, you know, I guess I'm sharing this with you guys, but, you know, they're not interested interested in trying to get their stamp all over everything. And it, I don't know, but, you know, but I was concerned in the first few years when the Sci-Fi Channel was sponsoring the press conferences we did and things like that. But I, it just didn't seem to be a problem. I mean, we still got very good, serious news coverage, you know, all over the place when we did press conferences with them on the, about the, the Kecksburg thing and the FOIA thing. And um, nobody ever really raised that as a problem. I mean, there were some issues that were raised around whether there was a conflict of interest with them because they were doing programming about this. And, right. But in terms of the information itself being diminished because of the, the, the term science fiction, um, I just, you know, it doesn't seem to have been a problem, and I'm just really grateful for all the help they've provided. I mean, this whole effort we did on the, with the Freedom of Information Act lawsuit would never have happened without the Sci-Fi Channel's involvement. So well, they've done a tremendous job with this. They launched, uh, with my help, they launched you know, a group of us, which we sort of set up as a Coalition for Freedom of Information, launched this effort in 2001, I think, to um, try to act, get, force the government to release more information on the Kecksburg case, because so far only one agency had released anything. 
And it was such a well-researched case that we thought we were in a good position to try to make something happen. And the fact that it had a physical object that came down, we thought maybe there'd be physical evidence, et cetera. It just seemed like a very good case to work with. And so, you know, we got the law firm involved and we got the public relations firm involved. We had this whole professional team of people that went after this information, beginning just by writing uh, your, your typical FOIA request, although we had an expert lawyer was helping us with all of this, who had a lot of experience with the Freedom of Information Act in Washington. So we got to a point with NASA where we knew that they were withholding information that we knew that they had. And so it, it all evolved into a lawsuit, basically. And what happened was, in, in, in four years ago, we filed a lawsuit against NASA. And um, it just got settled last October. <laughs> Hey, listeners, did you know that Fate is the oldest and best-known publication on the paranormal? Well, since 1948, Fate has provided their readers with fascinating in-depth articles on subjects like psychics and spiritualists, ghosts and hauntings, UFOs and aliens, as well as readers' true personal mystical experiences. For under $20, you can keep up with all the latest information. To subscribe, call now at one 800 728 2730 or visit Fate's website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. So what are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're on the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking to Leslie Kane. She's Director of Investigations for an organization called the Coalition for Freedom of Information. The Freedom of Information, of course, being about UFOs. Okay, the case was settled. What happened? Well, the case was settled in October in our favor, which basically meant that NASA is now required to search through hundreds and hundreds of files on our behalf and release a lot of documents to me. Um, they were also required to pay legal fees to my attorney, so that was um, another indication that this was really in our favor, even though it was technically a settlement, which means that it was something that both sides agreed upon. Mm -hmm. um, the judge was, was very upset with NASA and wanted this thing to be settled, and I think, you know, it was clear that NASA was the party here that had to come up with something for us. So they agreed to the settlement, and... Um, you know, I'm I'm very interested to see what's going to happen because um, we've begun. It's it's a long process. There was a settlement that was written where everything was spelled out in terms of how long each step of the process will take and exactly what has to happen, et cetera. And um, that settlement is on the website if people want to read it on the CFI website. Did you but, get um, the check yet? Well, the lawyer gets it. <laughs> yes, I believe she has received it. The firm has received it. Well, that's Unfortunately, helpful. nothing goes to me, but that's, my lawyer deserves it a lot more than I do. I mean, she's worked incredibly hard and way beyond the call of duty on this case. So um, I'm happy. To, and that, that isn't, that's only part of really what she's actually earned in terms of the time that was put into this. But still, it's a big help. So um, basically, you know, what happened was they sent me the first round of documents, which are basically inventory lists that I have to decide from those what files I want them to pull, which was a huge job. I sent back a list of files that I want them to pull for me based on the inventory lists, and now they're in the process of, of getting those files out and uh, 
sending them to me. But it's very time-consuming. It takes a lot of time because we're dealing with so many documents here. And uh, we don't know what's going to happen, but even if there's just one or two that are interesting and that lead us someplace, we'll be uh, we'll be happy with that. So have you been able to glean anything so far? Um, has there been anything forthcoming about this case? There are a lot of, I know there's a lot of stuff around this case. Um, there are a lot of interesting bits of testimony and it's like anything else in the ufo realm where you have lots of interesting testimony uh nothing conclusive from that testimony and huge government cover-up so the question leslie is have you been able to gain any kind of insight into this so far and more importantly do you think that nasa is the one that holds the documents that might set you on the right track? Well, um, should I answer that question first about NASA? I'm sure that NASA is not the only agency that has Mm -hmm. documents. Um, We went after them because we did know that they had certain documents that they had not released to us. And the way we know this is because they had been released to people in the past. So we had a way of, of going after them because... You know, we had evidence that they were withholding information or not doing their job under the, under the Freedom of Information Act. But I don't, for any, and and I do believe they should have, they should have documents on this because what NASA would do in the 60s when this happened was when something came down, they were tasked with going out and finding out about it. And we have other records that indicate that this is what they did. So, and also witnesses have told us that they saw NASA personnel at the scene at the Kecksburg incident. So we believe that they should have some information about it. But I wouldn't say that they're the only agency. Um, I, we, we're sure that the Army, and we've tried to get information from the Army, and it's possible they destroyed stuff. But personally, because this was such a sensitive case, I can't imagine that they don't have any documents. They just may have documents that can't be released. But, you know, the Army was there, and they were there on the scene, even. I mean, there's more documentation of the Army being there than there is of NASA. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely without question that the Army was there. So. That's why I was asking that question exactly. That's why I was wondering. Yeah, it's a good question, and, and I would love to be able to pursue the Army on this case as well. I just don't have the time and resources to do it right now. But that is that is something that needs to be done. We need to take a much much more aggressive action against the Army and, and really pursue them the same way we have done with NASA. But um, unless somebody wants to give a grant to, you know, to my nonprofit to make that happen, we just don't have the resources to do it right now. But we, we're on track with NASA, and we'll be very interested to see what happens with that, and that might shed some light on how we might proceed with other agencies in the future. Mm-hmm. So um, we're just going to stay focused with them right now, if that answers your question. It's always so difficult to try to figure out, you know, where to even find a little bit of smoke from that smoking gun. Uh, It just seems so elusive. And uh, something that Gene pointed out a little while ago was that, you know, maybe what's really going on here is that certain operatives within the military and or federal government have some amount of information Perhaps they've gathered a bunch of data about this, but what they've realized is that they have no real handle on this. Um, you know, like talking about the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we recently spoke to Jacques Vallée, and I personally would have to agree with Dr. Vallée in that I have seen nothing um, that indicates clearly that we are talking about extraterrestrial craft. Now, now that's not to say that we're talking about our technology. Um, We're maybe talking about something far more complex, and maybe this idea of the government has an answer, and the government has a bunch of information, and that information has led them to some answer. I think on an intuitive level, 
I have problems with that. This idea that the government is able to have a handle on this, I think it's probably much more likely, and I would agree with Gina on this one, because we've talked about it quite a bit, in that maybe the government has no handle, and that's why there there can't be disclosure, because what can they disclose? That they don't know what's going on? I mean, the last thing that they can do at this point is to look even more screwed up than they actually are. So, right. Right. No, I mean, I agree with you entirely. I, I, I just, I agree with everything you just said. That we, we don't know what this is, and I don't right. think the government ultimately, it's quite possible the government doesn't know either. Right, exactly. But even if they do know, it's clear that they, they cannot do anything about it. They can't protect people, they can't, you know, the technology that we're witnessing is, is far superior to our technology. Oh, so yeah. they can't do anything about it, so why would they want to make any announcement about it? What could they say? Well, this is They're exactly, impotent, right? Absolutely. And, and the whole idea, look, we are completely supportive of the disclosure movement. We, we believe that uh, Stephen Bassett is doing a good job trying to get people to fess up. Ultimately, though, uh, I think we both feel that it's really not likely that anybody's going to fess up. And, and actually, Bassett has been saying, and, and we're going to... We're going to find this out from him. He's been saying that he feels there's a good chance there will be disclosure next spring. Because I know, but uh, listen, you guys. Yeah. First I, of all, I don't think getting. I don't agree with Stephen Bassett's approach. I don't believe getting people to fess up is the way to approach this, and I don't do that. I, it's just a total waste of time. If you want the U.S., first of all, our approach is if in trying to interest the U.S. government in becoming involved with this is what we're hoping to do, to open up this investigation. We've never accused them of anything. We're not claiming that, they're, that they have a cover-up. You know, the way to interest them is to invite them to participate in an official investigation, to invite them to join with other countries who have official investigations, to invite them to join with scientists and say, we have a mystery here and we, we invite you to, to come on board with these other countries and let's see if we can figure out what this is because it's a concern for aviation safety and national security for a lot of people, sure. period. Yep. And, you know, I don't agree with the approach of saying, oh, Hillary Clinton was met with Lawrence Rockefeller and she knows something and she's hiding something and we should go to her press conferences and ask her questions about UFOs. Personally, I think that's counterproductive. And they'll throw you out. Yeah, and they'll laugh and they'll make a joke. What, what, what does Stephen think? That she's going to come out at a press conference and say she knows something? Anyway, I mean, it's just ridiculous. She probably doesn't know anything anyway. So I'm sorry, I don't agree with the exopolitics approach of going after all these, you know, government officials. I mean, I think it's, it's a detriment. It, it draws more ridicule to the subject. It's not a sophisticated way to go about it, and it's not going to accomplish anything. And I think the prime evidence for that is the Washington Post story that was written after Stephen Bassett's last conference, which was a total ridicule of his of the kinds of things, the information that he had people saying at this press conference. It was not a positive step in the UFO media world for that article to have been written. And no. unfortunately, these people provided the wrong information. The other thing about how you have to approach the subject, I believe, with if you're trying to make change in the government, is to provide them with the right kind of information. And I, I'm disappointed that people like Stephen Bassett do not seem to know how to distinguish between what information is legitimate and what isn't. And if well, you don't present legitimate information, it's not going to work. It just sets absolutely. us back. Right. Absolutely. Look, I, I couldn't agree more with you in that. And... Uh, I personally had words with Stephen about this when, at the last X conference, and I was there. The bottom line is that when you have someone like Richard Dolan, who is a highly credible person, go on right after someone like this guy Alfred Weber, who was just a nightmare 
Exactly. Um, He's the one that was quoted in the Post. Oh, yeah. The, the alien But absolutely insane yeah, statements. Oh, just nuts stuff. Oh, absolutely. Just crazy now, stuff. But it's up to Stephen to screen those people out. And he considers that a Weber, a colleague. It's a problem. You know, his it's job should be to screen people out like that. Don't you agree? Well, well, you know, they're looking to get people to attend these events, and sometimes you have to use the crazies to get more and more people there. Unfortunately, well, I don't but respect that. I'm sorry. No, I understand I, I, your point of view, and I agree with you. But I see that with lots and lots of these UFO conference conventions, etc. There is no distinguishing the serious people from the crazies or the people who fall somewhere in between. Oh, but it gets right, and worse. I don't even necessarily want to call them crazy. You know, I like Alfred Weber. I'm not trying to be, you know, mean to him no, or anything. No, no, you can call. You don't have to you call just, them crazies. We will. No, you just have to think <laughs> information that is that is solid, that can be corroborated, that's legitimate, that's valid information about UFOs it has to be distinguished from information that isn't. Well, you know what? I'll go you on know? a limb here, though, Leslie. When Alfred Weber says alien beam technology brought down the trade centers, I put that into the insane box. I guess that's so. Or, or the, yeah, he said things about the. You know, and that Dale Richardson was a has been liaison with the extraterrestrials, and you know he's some CIA operative with the. Yeah, I mean, even if he believes this stuff to be true, and we all have beliefs about the subject that we may not say publicly, right, you have to sure. be very careful about what you present publicly, and you have to know how to what's legitimate to present publicly and what isn't. And my personal opinion is, and of all the people that I work with as well, is that the kind of information we presented in November twelfth is the information that needs to be put out there. Nobody can argue with it. Nobody can make fun of it. The problem is when they present the crazy information, it brings people in there. They pay $160 a okay, weekend. Okay, but this, this issue is too precious to be used for making money. I'm sorry. It's not about making money. It's I about understand that. the integrity sure. of, the, of this incredible mystery that is a huge deal for the world. And we don't fool around with it by trying to make money off of, of conferences where we bring crazy people in. I don't respect well, that. I'm sorry. We couldn't agree. Find another you. way to make a living, you know? Absolutely. Leslie, Preaching to the choir here. Yeah, we couldn't agree with you more on this. And, in fact, one of the reasons we really wanted to have you on the show is because you are a real journalist. You are speaking from a, a place of reason and rationality, which is so difficult to do in this quote-unquote field. And we're finding that as, you know, we're just two guys with a podcast, ultimately. Um, we're doing this because we have a deep interest in the topic. And we'd like to see the tone around this change. Uh, I can tell you that at the X conference, when Stephen Greer got up on stage and talked about seeing pictures of cute little alien babies, you know, and, and here's a guy who supposedly, with the Disclosure Project, had brought legitimacy to the discussion, putting people like Captain Robert Salas on a stage with people like Bob Dean, which was uh, just terrible. I know. I mean, oh. I respect you guys a lot, and I, I can tell you guys are very well informed, and I appreciate what you're doing, by the way. Okay. I was at the Stephen Greer press conference, and I worked with Stephen closely for one year prior to that press conference. I was one of his core group who helped bring the, you know, make the whole thing happen. And I was very disappointed with the whole thing, by the way. Yeah. I mean, the point you made about he might have had three or four credible people on that platform. The rest of them shouldn't have even been there. Yeah. So there were a lot of mistakes made, and we learned from that. And I, I think that Stephen Bassett needs to be asked why he would invite Stephen Greer to this to a conference. Stephen Greer, you know, most people do not give him much credibility, and you know, and I don't know. I'm just, I get very uh, frustrated because I think the UFO community, so-called, and now we've got this whole faction of people that call them exopolitics people, you know, complain that they're not taken seriously, but they're they're the ones that are creating that problem. 
they're digging their own graves with the, the way they carry on about this subject and, and uh, the kind of information that they put out. It's very I don't know if you agree with me, but that's what I see happening. Oh, no, I, I think you can tell by our tone of voice that... Uh, I, mean, I don't like to... I mean, I usually don't even yeah. speak this... this uh, I'm usually not this outspoken about it, but, you know, I just do it because it, I want to preserve the integrity of this issue, yes. and I'm working so hard to try to bring credibility to it, and I don't understand why the, everybody can't see, you know, what works and what doesn't. Why can't people see this simple fact, you guys? Hmm. There was a, an article in the Washington Post that ridiculed the subject because of the kinds of information that these people were putting out. Then there was an event in which there were hundreds of articles, and they did not ridicule the subject. Why can't people look and see what works and what doesn't? What kind of information do you put out that gets serious coverage, and what do you not put out? It's black and white. It's right there for people to see. Hey, I want to break for the hour right now, so let me just tell our listeners we're talking to Leslie Kane, investigative journalist who is responsible for an organization called The Coalition for Freedom of Information. We're trying to separate the wheat from the chaff with her help. We'll be back on the other end of the hour. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Yedney. We're on part two of the Powercast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're having a very spirited, friendly discussion with Leslie Kane, investigative journalist who is also director of investigations for the Coalition for Freedom of Information. What kind of information? Well, about UFOs. Leslie, if people want more information about what you've got going there, can you tell us where to find it? Yes. Um, you can go to my website, which is www.freedomofinfo.org. Freedomofinfo.org. It needs to be updated. Um, you know, I have a volunteer webmaster, and we do the best we can, but there's a lot of great information up there about all, everything we're talking about here, so including the settlement of the NASA lawsuit and lots of information about the press conference, including transcripts of every single talk that was presented, every every presenter's presentation at the press conference is, is up on my website, so people can read everything that was said there. There's also a link to James Fox's website for people who might want to get the DVD of the whole press conference, which is also available through James Fox, and there's pictures and a lot of other information there. So, Leslie... How was that press conference attended? Who was there, and what did they say? Okay, well, we had seven countries represented by 14 people, and there was a range of, you know, I mean, I can read you the list if you'd like of the names. You know, we had, I mean, a, a general from... One of the most outstanding people we had, I believe, was General de Brouwer from Belgium. Who you know, what I would like you to do is mention the names, but also give us a really brief summary of the kind of information they had to present, because I think our listeners would really want to know that. You mean sort of an overview rather than what specific people said, kind of? Well, you can say this particular person said this, they talked about this, they talked about that, okay. spend maybe a, a minute or so with each person so we can get a sense of why they were there and what they were doing. Okay. You know, the countries that were represented first, of all were France, England, Belgium, Chile, Peru, Iran, and the United States. 
and um, we we focused on countries that have government agencies that investigate UFOs. So, the, also the important point is that our panel was moderated by former Arizona Governor Fife Symington. Um, he also gave a was a presenter, but he was also the moderator of the whole thing. And um, his talk, as, as people probably know, he has come out 10 years after the Phoenix Lights incident of 97 to acknowledge that he actually saw the object himself, even though he gave the press conference that everybody's so familiar with where he had his staffer dressed up as an alien. You're all familiar with that? Despite that, he has, and he, he's just been incredible in, in supporting, he was just an incredible support for this event. So what we did was we had four pilots there. Some of the pilots were military pilots. Uh, general Jafari from Iran, for instance, is now a general. He was a, an Air Force pilot at the time that the event occurred. And both he and Comandante Oscar Santa Maria from Peru had incredible encounters with some kind of object in the sky, and they gave detailed reports of these very close encounters, these kind of cat and dog fights they had with objects. Both of their cases, by the way, were documented by the U.S. government in files that have been released. Mm-hmm. We had the two key witnesses to the uh, Bentwaters case, Colonel Holt and, and Jim Penniston, Sergeant Penniston, who one, Penniston actually touched the object when it landed on the ground. We had them talking about that. Uh, we had three gentlemen from France. One is a, a you know a scientific researcher, and uh, two of them really were. One of them was the founder of the current JPON, which is the the government agency that investigates UFOs. And uh, who was our third one from France? Jean-Claude Poer. Oh, and then we had a pilot, an Air France pilot, also who talked about his sighting, which is, and all of these cases were extremely well documented. We have radar and all kinds of documentation for them, multiple witnesses. From Peru, we had Dr. Anthony Choi, who's been working with the Air Force in Peru since 2001. He founded a government agency, again, another country that has a government agency that investigates UFOs, and he's been doing a lot of fantastic research with the Air Force there. And um, we had Captain Ray Bowyer from the Channel Islands. You guys may be familiar with the case that occurred just in 06 in April of the cha- over the Channel Islands where the pilot saw a mile-long UFO. Do you remember oh, yes. that case? Absolutely. Yeah, and so we were very fortunate to have him there. And then John Callahan, who people may be familiar with already, he was on the panel that one of the most credible people on Stephen Greer's panel in yep. 2000. Yep. And again, he talked to us about the event that he was, you know, the 1986 case that he was involved with, and also his concern about the fact that the, the radar radar equipment that we now have is not set up properly. It cannot really document UFOs. And that was a theme that a number of people talked about at the press conferences. You know, I'd like to know specifics on that. That intrigues me. Why is the radar equipment not set up properly? Well, I mean, I'm not a radar expert, I'll tell you that. Far from it. Um, But both General DeBrower and Callahan and some others, and we actually wrote something about that in our statement to the U.S. government that we got information from DeBrower. I'll tell you as best as I understand it. what, What John Callahan has told me is that, first of all, very fast-moving objects cannot really be picked up if they go really fast because the radar arm sweeps around. It takes a few seconds. It's calibrated to pick up certain objects. You know, it's calibrated to pick up planes and helicopters and things that are expected to be picked up. So things that fall outside of that field are either ignored, they're not recorded, sometimes they're mistaken as weather. Sometimes the UFOs go so fast that they don't, the machine doesn't really have time. I mean, there's a lot of problems, and, you know, again, I'm not the person to talk to. But I've also, Richard Haynes has told me the same thing from NARCAP. 
and I, I recommend you ask some people who are radar experts about this, that we need to improve the technology that we have if we, if we want to be able to pick up more UFOs. Now, sometimes UFOs are picked up on radar, as you know, but sometimes they're not. And part of the problem with that is that our system doesn't seem to be set up and you know to be able to do that and that's why John Callahan said he wasn't at all surprised that the O'Hare object was not picked up on radar and he could probably give you an explanation as to why he wasn't surprised but you know I guess a hovering object that's low like that they may have problems the radar is just not set up to pick up that kind of a thing I don't know enough about it but I've heard it enough from enough high-level people have told me that 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 there is a problem with how our radar is configured that I take their word for it without being an expert on it myself. But then this was something that a number of people mentioned at the press conference. And they also mentioned a lot of them the the importance of the US government joining the international community and having the, doing their investigations as we discussed earlier because all of these people there were from countries that do properly investigate UFOs officially. And so we were trying to give the message to the U.S. government, hey, look what they do in other countries. You know, we should do the same thing and we should cooperate with them and um, share our information and share our work and see if we can figure out what this thing is, what these things are that are flying around. Just briefly, let's talk about Nick Pope example because he worked with a British organization, the British Mm -hmm. government that was investigating UFOs. Did he ever try to contact the American authorities and say, hey, look, I've got a lot of this stuff here. Would you help us figure out what's going on? Well, that's a good question. He has contacted them when, when I, like, um, in the, I think it was in 96, the famous Cosford incident. It wasn't in 96, 93. He contacted or his office contacted the U.S. government to ask them, we've got this triangular craft flying around up here. Is it one of yours? And the U.S. government said no. But then the interesting thing is that the U.S. government then asked the Brits, we've got these things flying around our airspace. Are they yours? We'd like to know more information about them. So I thought that was really amazing. The U.S. government that claims that they don't investigate UFOs is now asking the British government about the triangles that are being seen over our country. But in terms of actually asking them to help them investigate, I sort of doubt it because usually if an event takes place over a specific country, that's the country that's going to investigate. Exactly. Absolutely. But, however, the Bentwaters case, of course, was different because it was a U.S. air base on British soil, so both countries ended up investigating that case. But I still think, and I think these other countries feel that if the U.S. government became more involved, that there would be a lot that they could learn from and a lot of information that could be shared on cases that came up. Well, see, um, but the thing about it, Leslie, is that there, you know, in the UFO sandbox, as it were, a lot of people are saying that the reason that other countries are trying to get the states to sort of fess up what they have is they feel that this is the only way, going public and making this sort of demand, is the only way to try to get the U.S. to show its hand. And and maybe, you know, that's just not going to be enough. Maybe, or, you know, back to maybe the operatives inside of the U.S. government that actually have this stuff, they're not playing. I mean, you know, so we uh, one of the things that comes up, and Rich Dolan makes this point very strongly in his presentations, is that really what you've got are two governments, basically. You've got a government on the outside that's doing... X amount of stuff, and then you have a black government. Now, this gets us into the, you know, sort of the political conspiracy realm that this show typically stays away from. We don't, we don't mm-hmm. dive into these waters because this is a very paranoid place. 
But clearly, I mean, if we look at just looking at what's going on with our quote-unquote wars on terror, it becomes pretty clear, I think, that even you have two militaries. You have a military on one level that is, you know, shown to the public that is taking embedded journalists on tours, even though the embedded journalist thing doesn't really happen much anymore. But then you've got another military going on that's involved in stuff that many of us seem to not want to know about. So do you think it's even possible at that point to get, you know, foreign pressure on the United States government that is now going to somehow trickle down to who's ever holding this information? Because I think one of the things that's clear to many of us is that the U.S. government has to be the biggest dinosaur in the world. It's just so huge. You, you know, you talk about government funding. Yeah, I mean, how many trillions of dollars get lost, which is like an insane thing. But there it is. You have Donald Rumsfeld days before 9-11 saying, oh, yeah, there's about $2.2 trillion missing. Now, when you've got that right. kind of shenanigans going on, I mean, is it even possible to say, yeah, we're going to we're going to be able to figure out what button to push on this wall full of buttons to get any sort of an opening to open up on the wall of information? I just think there are many of us that are just really frustrated when we see these foreign governments and, and you know, do what they're trying to do. Like, you know, Nick Pope working for the British Ministry of Defense. OK, they start releasing a bunch of stuff. Meanwhile, are they releasing the good stuff? Uh, it doesn't really look like they're releasing really strong stuff. Like the best stuff is still being held very close to the chest. And I think that the perception is that the American or, you know, the U.S. government, the portion of it that has this information is doing the same thing. They're holding the really good stuff really close to their chest. And if they let anything go, all right, let the sea level stuff out because ultimately we don't really need that. I'll tell you what, we've got an A-level break here. I think most of you know that I love radio, and so I decide to look for the ultimate receiver for AM reception because I want outstanding AM reception, day and night, especially night where it gets difficult. So I've discovered that C-Crane CC Radio Plus has earned the reputation of having the best AM reception, which is exactly what C-Crane intended when they designed this gem of a radio. Along with its legendary AM reception, it also has excellent FM reception, a weather band, TV audio, and the ability to run on batteries for, and listen to this, 250 hours. So whether you use it as your bedside radio in your kitchen or at work, the CC Radio Plus will give you the pleasure of clear AM reception. The radio is designed for the clarity of the human voice and the benefits of useful features like five memory buttons per band. They work just like memory buttons in your car. A sleep timer. An alarm clock so you can get up at the right time, and a weather alert that now works as an all-hazards alarm. You know what I want you to do? I want you to buy that radio, but also support this show by visiting techbroadcasting.com slash ccrane. That's techbroadcasting.com slash ccrane to order the CC Radio Plus for $164.95, and that includes free ground shipping and a free ccrane catalog. Place your order today. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, Leslie Kane, investigative journalist, the director of investigations for the Coalition for Freedom of Information, joining us on the Paracast. And we're exploring 
A-level information, B-level information, etc. So what do you think, Leslie? Do you think that maybe they're giving us a few breadcrumbs? You mean um, the other governments? or Let's start with the government. other governments. Forget about yeah, the Yeah, I mean, you know, the, in terms of what you just said, I mean, again, we went over this before, and I agree. I mean, there's no way that we can be assured that we're going to ever have access to possible information that is so secret that it's going to remain secret or that some body within the government, you know, has exclusive access to um, and I, you know, and I don't know to what extent that secret government even exists, but right. I know that a lot of people believe it probably does. I would certainly like to see more documentation about it than I've seen. Mm-hmm. Given that it does, I agree with you. I don't think setting up a government investigation is going to guarantee that, but I do think that it's going to help moving us in the right direction, and it's going to certainly help to add legitimacy to the issue in the United States. It would be an acknowledgement that it's worthy of investigation, for one thing. And, you know, you can just take the steps you can take, but I'm not, I don't by any means believe that some kind of an agency that investigates cases that come up is going to have access necessarily to top secret information that's well hidden in the government, no. Right, right. But um, at least we'll, we'll get decent investigations, hopefully, of events that happen, and we'll get more legitimacy added to the issue, and we'll have more cooperation with other countries. Sounds good in theory, but what about the other governments? We've had different governments, French government, British government, releasing information about UFOs. Are they coordinating with each other? I think to the extent, yes, the extent that they need to and want to, yeah. I mean, you know, I think that if the U.S. became involved, there'd be much more of an interest in some kind of a more international, uh, let's say annual international conference or something where, you know, information could be officially, it could just, there was, I think there would be more pooling of information if the U.S. government became involved, quite honestly. But I know that countries within, you know, the, for instance, France and Belgium and the U.K., they're all right next door to each other, and um, they can call on each other whenever they need to and want to. I mean, I know that from having talked to people within those those units, so... I just, but I, I think they believe that if the U.S. government also had an office, it would sort of up everything to another level. Because the, right. the U.S. government, it's a superpower that has a huge effect on the world. Right. And that there may be some kind of, you know, annual kind of European Union event or something that would bring all these countries together. And there'd be more of an effort made, I think, if that happened to have more cooperation among the different countries. It would, there would be more reason for it. Now, Leslie, in terms of the press conference, you talked about the people who you had there uh, on the panel. What about attendance? Um, well, there was a huge amount of press. I mean, you know, we have a list. But I don't have it in front of me, but and I guess the most of the coverage, the television coverage was CNN. They did a lot. Mm-hmm. But there is a list on my website of all the media that covered the event. So there was a lot of press there. And then we had some invited um, people. We didn't have it open to the public. It was by invitation only because um, our concern was to, you know, make this really an event geared towards the media and towards official and more official uh, attendees that might want to come. But it was um, was a pretty full room. It was in the uh, ballroom of the U.S. Press Club, which is the biggest room they have. So I'd say it was mainly media that attended, but there were also invited guests that were there. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, people that worked on the event and, and people like that. And it, it, was a, it was a big room, big full room, exciting to be there, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and you can see it, and, and if anybody gets the DVD that James has put together, there's some shots in there of what the whole, you know, after the event and before the event that sort of give you the feeling for what it was like in the room and who was there, et cetera. You need to call James and get a hold of copies of that because I would love to see that. 
And is there, I guess that's the only form in which people can see the entire press conference. It's not online, per se? Not as far as I know, although, you know, somebody may have put it up online someplace. You know, I don't know if parts of it, I think maybe clips are on YouTube or something, but you're not going to get the same experience that you could get from sitting down, you know, sitting through the whole DVD and watching one person after the other. You know what I mean? Good quality. It's it's professional quality and, um, you know, professional cameras and the other place that people will see it of course is in the film when it comes out but they're not Mm -hmm. going to be able to see the whole thing straight through just as it was then i mean they'll see clips of it in in james's new movie well i i'd almost hope he'd put a second dvd in there with the whole press conference i think that should be part of the package you mean with the new movie yeah yeah well maybe eventually it will i mean his initial goal is to get a theatrical release on this film so you know that's I, i don't think the dvd will be out for quite a while Got it. Okay. Theatrical release and then maybe some kind of TV broadcast. I'm not sure, but but in the meantime, I mean, people can, if they're willing to, any you know, the money that they spend on this DVD goes to support the new film that's being made. It's not just you know anybody who buys a copy can be feel happy that they're supporting this the newest movie, which is going to be even better than the old one. So um, I encourage people to get, to get a copy. It's really really well done and really worth hearing. On a personal note, what's your own feeling about? The phenomenon. I mean, you're you're acting here as a journalist, um, and we've, you've been talking as a journalist, and that's certainly appropriate. But in terms of your own personal take on this, obviously, you know, you've mentioned this is like a very great, very important mystery, and we would absolutely agree with you. What do you personally hope is revealed about this? What would what would make you happy? And what would make you less than happy in terms of revelations about the phenomenon? Boy, that's an interesting question. <sighs> I mean, um, I, you know, I think that the extraterrestrial hypothesis is a valid hypothesis. I think that Jack Vallée's perspective is also very valid. I don't think this is something that, you know, is some secret. I don't think every sighting of UFOs is some secret craft that we've made. So I, I right. they do seem to come from someplace else. I mean, it's very hard to explain the data if you look at the data and all the people, the generals and so on, the people that I've been talking to who agree. If it's, you know, this is an unexplained phenomenon. And, you know, so, I mean, I'm just hoping that we can get some answers and get more solid uh, evidence as to what it is and where it comes from. And in terms of what makes you happy or sad, well, obviously you hope it's going to be something positive that has our best interests at heart and not something destructive. Um, but And so far it hasn't. You know, we don't seem to have any indication of it being destructive. I mean, but you know, it is—it's scary for a lot of people, and there's a there's a very disturbing aspect to it. In that these are powerful—they seem to be powerful machines that we don't know where they come from and what they are. So it's um, it's not just oh my God, these are our space brothers. You know, let's—I hope I can go on board, which is what's the way some people relate to this thing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know. I just was at the Laughlin Conference, and you know the International UFO Congress, and there's so many people there that have that. They're just overjoyed, and they want to meet the space. Uh, brothers, you know? Okay, so you brought up the <laughs> International UFO Congress. Good. Uh-oh. What did I bring up? Something? Oh uh, no, no, no! You're okay. I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh oh! Should never have brought it up. Oh no, no, it's good. It's good. Well, you know, I'm just going to ask your opinion about something. The two most credible speakers, in your opinion, that you saw there, and the two least credible speakers. Well, I was only there for two days. That's enough so. time to see credible and, and less credible people. 
Um, I saw Bud Hopkins, who I think is right. very credible. And um, I think that was the only talk I saw. No, then I, I saw these two guys um, who spoke before him, Jim Weiner and Chuck Fultz, who are abductees, who spoke about a case that they were involved with. I think they were credible also. But I looked at the program, and you know, most of the people would, most of the speakers were not the kind of topics that I would be interested in listening to. The vast majority of them would not be useful to me because of the kinds of information I work with is not that kind of information. The space people are not coming here tomorrow on your front lawn. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwoods. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockwood, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Hi, this is Timothy Green Beckley, otherwise known as Mr. UFO, reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal. And we have a special offer for the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bizarre sent to you via snail mail. And all you have to do is email me at MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MRUFO at WebTV.net. And we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications. And you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers in the field as well as up-to-date information on the latest book and videos, and it's all for free. Or drop us a line, Mr. UFO at webtv.net. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney, Leslie Kane, investigative journalist, joining us talking about efforts to get the information out there, hopefully with the government investigation or some kind of investigation. David? Well, so, Leslie, you just kind of painted the problem as it stands now, which is that you went to this uh, week-long event. I think it's probably the uh, most expansive event around this topic. I don't know of any other event that goes for, what, seven, eight days. I don't know that I could personally withstand that, having attended one- and two-day events of, of, of this topic. It's really mm-hmm. difficult because of the frustration levels. And I know that there was one person at that conference who was uh, slandering my good name, Gene's good name, and some mm-hmm. other people who are friends of the show in pursuit of pushing a case that centers around a religious cult. Here's the question. I mean, so you've got this week-long event where you have mostly noise, 
and a little bit of signal. Most of what's going on there are believers, the doe-eyed believers, who go and want confirmation and affirmation of their belief system. Look, the Space Brothers are here to help us because, oh, you know, we're children and we can't deal with our own problems, so we need advanced beings to come help us. And this is typically what you have showing up at events like this. So, right, a lot of them are channelers. Well, uh, even better. So you have that reality, the kind of people who are attracted to this topic. How do you reconcile that? with then trying to put this in a serious package and presenting it to people as a serious thing. I mean, you've been doing this for a while. We're trying to do this as well. And I'll tell you, I can't figure out for the life of me, and I know that Gene can't either, you know, how do you try to change the tone of the conversation away from, you know, the Space Brothers and, you know, Ramtha? To exopolitics, it's the same kind of a thing. I'm gonna, it's, I'm gonna. It's based I'll, on a sort of a fantasy notion. I tend to think that all of life is based on a fantasy notion. More, wow. more so. Well, you know, not all of it, but it, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, you have this thing where people have their desired outcome, and what they do is they try to fit everything into that outcome which is dangerous. And, you know, in speaking to Jacques Vallée, what's clear to us about Vallée is that this is a guy who is truly rational and open-minded. And right. he's willing to say things that other people won't say. But you know what, Leslie? The, the flip side of that is that Jacques Vallée makes a very interesting point about Rendlesham in that, in his opinion, he thinks there's a possibility that Rendlesham was actually... A military exercise. And just in that the soldiers are told before they go out, leave your weapons behind. Now, that's a very interesting point. That, yeah, you know, I didn't, people, the, the soldiers, you mean the ones that went to investigate it were told to yeah, leave their weapons behind? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't I have not looked at the case closely yeah. enough to you know be aware of that. So. Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting little fact that usually gets kind of lost in the discussion about it, but there is confirmation that they were indeed told that. Uh-huh. So when you have meaning that like, the implication is that when you say a, gov- a government project that it was actually a British government and that the people at the base were the higher ups were aware. Yeah, perhaps a joint operation, joint uh, American British operation to see how soldiers would react to this kind of a situation. And well, that would mean be- we'd have to have very sophisticated technology though to be able to create what what, what they actually saw there. That technology's yeah. never shown up anywhere. Why why don't we make use of it then and, and use that kind of technology in ways that you know, let's say in the war in Iraq or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, a relevant question. Um, and then, of course, we get into the issue of, and this is where the get, this gets murky, Leslie. Then this gets very murky very quickly, because when you go into things like psych, psych ops, you have the military playing essentially mind games with their own people. And this is certainly something the military has had a history doing, you know, like the, uh, I want to say the uh, the Ultra Project. Um, you know, they, they, have, they have drugged people. They've drugged right. their own people, you know, so you start to look at the situation. I mean, Gene, even at one point when we had Stan Friedman and Kathleen Martin on mm-hmm. about the Betty and Barty Hill case, Gene brought up the re- rather relevant point that the Hills uh, were very friendly with a lot of military people. And maybe there was a possibility that that was a military operation. I'm not saying that it's probable or even likely, but we're in murky waters here. I wanted to expand on that. One of the other things is their proximity to a military base where they lived. No, I mean, we are in murky waters. I agree with you. I agree with you. All we can look at is what what the data is that we seem to have, and we don't really know the answers. Right, right. And at least you're honest enough to say that. 
Well, what's that? Most, you're honest enough to say that. No, oh, I don't. I don't think we have the, the answers. No, I mean, I think there's a lot of very suggestive things, but you know, I mean, the highest level people that I've talked to, which are generals, well, they all basically say the same thing, which is. There's an unknown phenomenon. The extraterrestrial hypothesis is a very legitimate one, but we don't know what they are. So they have said this to you? Yeah, oh, yes. High-level people. I mean, you know, retired, mainly retired generals, well, such as General Wil Wilfred de Brouwer from Belgium, General Letty from France, who was behind the Cometa report. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to talk to these guys because they... They're certainly open to the extraterrestrial hypothesis. They recognize the validity of studying this, which is something American generals don't say. But um, they do not claim that we know what they are by any means. See, you know, now, we don't. Now, maybe, now, there's kind of an interesting thing you just said there, which is that you have these foreign military men saying, we don't know what this is. But then you also said you have American higher-end military who don't comment on it. They won't. But yeah, I mean, I don't know any generals. Well, let's say maybe they, maybe they, you know, maybe you'll have reports of people saying, "Oh, General So and So said this to me." But I'm talking about on right. the record. Right. On the record, you know, publicly, these well, guys see, will all make these statements. <laughs> I mean, pretty much everyone at the press conference said that. Said that. And that, some, that, there were two generals at the press conference, but I've spoken to more than that. See, the thing is, though, and, and again, I'm just sort of like throwing this out there because it's interesting, in that you have, uh, you know, foreign generals saying there's something going on we don't know what it is this is a good theory then you have the american military sort of not saying much of anything to me and again this is just my opinion but to me that sort of indicates a good possibility or potential that the american military knows more than everyone else because they've been doing the largest amount of reconnaissance collecting um you know when we, we've heard about the uh, virginia crash in, mm -hmm. uh, I believe, 96 in Brazil. Right. And uh, from what it appears down there, the American military was on the scene pretty quick, mm -hmm. grabbing stuff. So, you know, clearly you've got the American military going places where maybe it's welcome, maybe it's not welcome, and grabbing evidence and then taking off. Right. Um, no. Yep. Right. And I so, think it's quite possible that we know more than anybody else, and maybe that's why we're the quietest. That's what you're saying, right? Exactly. It's quite, it makes a lot of sense. I'm not saying that I know or don't know whether that's true or not, but it's certainly plausible in my and mind, I'm, yeah. And I'm kind of wondering, you know, so then you have put yourself out as someone who is looking to make some headway with this topic, and you, you say you've had people speaking with you. What is the most, here, I'll just throw this out on the table, and you can hang up when I ask this. What's the most outrageous thing you've heard stated by a source that, you know, obviously would not want to be identified. But what's the one thing, for example, is there one thing that someone who you would consider to be in the know said to you where you went, what? Oh, uh, gosh, I have to think about that one. Yeah. See, I mean, there, you know, there are people, you know, there are sources who I, re people I really trust who yeah. will tell me somebody they really trust told them something like, you know, we have a crash saucer or... And I have no, I really trust these people, so I'm sort of thinking, my God, that must be true. But it's never something that I can verify. So along those lines, what's the what's the thing that you heard? And, and, and I'm putting you on the spot. We're really good at that on the Paracast. Where somebody said to you, someone you trust said to you, you know, this is something we know that we don't often talk about. And let me let me qualify this, Leslie. At the X conference, you heard one thing on the stage when people were talking. Then at 3 o'clock in the morning in the hotel bar, 
where everybody was, you know, socially lubricating themselves. Yeah. Other things were coming out that weren't being said on stage. Some of the most revealing stuff was coming out late at night at the bar. And qualify this, I was up in the hotel room sleeping. I was not down in the bar at that time of night. Mm-hmm. But my cohort at the show and a friend of the sh- of, of the Paracast, Jeff Ritzman, he's kind of the unofficial host, he was there with me. He was downstairs. He said, man, if you had heard some of the stuff that was said at the bar, it was just the most amazing stuff that is the kind of stuff that is what we call on this show and what is also referred to by other people into this topic as the high strangeness element. The part that all of a sudden, you know, part of a story or even of a sighting that flies in the face of any of the quote-unquote conventional wisdom around this that makes you go, wait a minute, this is so much weirder than anything we thought it was. So I'm wondering, in people talking to you and in telling you stuff off the record, mm-hmm. where they, they didn't want to be quoted and they didn't want to be identified, and so we're not you're not quoting or identifying anybody, mm-hmm. was there any piece of information that was thrown at you where you said, oh, that's just too weird? Well, I mean, there's probably been lots over the years. Um, You know, trying to put my finger... I mean, I've probably heard the same thing that you heard that night in the bar, the guy your friend heard. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, the big question for me, of course, is who was in the bar? You know, depending on the people that were doing the talking, I might write the whole thing off. They might just be um, talking after they imbibe a few substances. Sure. sure. But um, you know, I mean, I've heard I've heard the whole range, really. I can't think of any one specific thing. I've heard just you know, I mean, of course, the cases of abductees. A lot of those cases are probably the most mind blowing to me. Some of the abduction cases where you have people who you know, then when there's physical evidence and all kinds of evidence for this thing to have happened, and I've gotten to know some of these people. I mean that. Those might be because I've been closer to those cases than hearing something in a bar or something. You can, you know, it comes and goes. But right. some of those cases are, you know, I don't know, they're just mind-boggling. I don't know what to make of them. I'll tell you what. Um, I'll get real specific with my question. Okay. Right, I'll be very specific. Have you ever heard an intimation by anybody highly placed or, 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 or in high position of power in the military? Have you ever heard any kind of a statement or even an intimation to the effect of, gee, We'd like to be more forthcoming about this, but for some strange reason, we can't find the will to be more forthcoming about this. It's a little cryptic. I, have, I, know. No, I, I mean, this is whether a high-level source has said that they'd like to be more forthcoming about it, but they can't be or they don't they, have the they will. Can't to be. Be. They can't be because yeah. for some no, I mean, reason. I, I, yeah. No, no. Well, here, but I'm going to take this to a weird place. Go ahead. Not, not because some superior of theirs is threatening them, mm-hmm. but because they go to reach for the phone, and for some reason, they just can't pick that phone up. No, I've never I've never heard anyone say that. Now, that's the kind of thing I might hear secondhand from somebody else, mm-hmm. and the kind of stuff that flies around the Internet. But no, I've never heard that directly from somebody, okay. something like that. All right. That's, I'm just curious. Yeah. I know it's, it's yeah. an out-there question, but this is a bit of an out-there topic. Well, <laughs> so. You're not kidding. And, you know, we. I mean, I'm, I'm open to all the possibilities. And if I hear some wild story, I don't necessarily say that I know that it isn't true because I don't. I just know when something has enough information to back it up. And when something doesn't, and and you know, but that doesn't mean that I'm saying it's not it's not true. I don't know. But you can only work with the material that stands, that that has legs. 
That's the only kind of material that's really useful. Sure, sure. And that's that's why I'm focused on that kind of material because I don't think we can make headway with with the, with the rest of it. As fascinating as it might be to to all of us on a personal level. Mm-hmm. So you've you've never had a sighting. You've never seen a UFO. No, I haven't. And in some ways, I think it's for the better actually. Because sometimes when I go on radio shows, they say, "Well, have you ever seen a UFO? Or are you a member of any UFO?" Blah blah blah. And I, I sort of think like if I had to say yes to that, that it might somehow not give me as much credibility. Well, do you label your organization a UFO-related organization? I mean, it doesn't have UFO in the title, flying saucer, or anything else. Yeah. I mean, well, we try to you know minimize that kind of terminology as much as we can for you know just because it's it generate you know because of the, it's so loaded you know and people there's this ridicule factor so we try to minimize using the language but we as you'll see right when you open up on the home page we talk about ufos right away yeah i think i to say we're a ufo organization i probably wouldn't quite characterize it like that but certainly that's the issue that we're concerned about is bringing more credibility to the ufo issue there's a reason why i raise it that way and that is what i'm seeing and what david has seen is that quite often and Jacques Vallée was telling us about this, confirming our own knowledge of it when he had his appearance on the show. And that is that you will talk to people and you collect their UFO sightings. But if you get to know them better, you'll find that the UFO sighting is only the tip of the iceberg. And they've had a whole range of unusual experiences. And those unusual experiences may not necessarily be UFO related. We can call them psychic. We can call them spiritualistic or something like that. Hey, listeners, did you know that Fate is the oldest and best-known publication on the paranormal? Well, since 1948, Fate has provided their readers with fascinating in-depth articles on subjects like psychics and spiritualists, ghosts and hauntings, UFOs and aliens, as well as readers' true personal mystical experiences. For under $20, you can keep up with all the latest information. To subscribe, call now at one 800 728 2730 or visit Fate's website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. So what are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietney, Leslie Kane, investigative journalist, joining us. She's responsible for an organization called the Coalition of Freedom of Information. So have you had a chance to talk to people who had sightings where when you get to know them, suddenly a lot more comes out? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. And yes, I think that's and I, I, I wouldn't be surprised even if some of the, you know, high level people are like that. Where where they've had things that have coincided with their sighting that they don't talk about. I've also found that a lot of these high level people believe in a lot more of the sort of bizarre more bizarre elements of the phenomenon than we might think. 
Mm. So I think you're right. I think that there's a lot more to it, and a lot of the people that I'm working with, and the, for instance, the types that were at our press conference, are like me. They're very careful about what information they put forward. But that doesn't mean that they haven't had other related experiences or that they haven't discovered certain other things that they might be withholding. If that's right. what you're talking about. It's really interesting, that element of it. And uh, I find that happening quite a lot. That, that more than your question about something weird happening to them when they're trying to disclose information or something. Yeah, yeah. What I find much more is that these people have a broader realm of experience with this than you might think. And a lot and of times it's politically you know, correct. You don't want people to know that you're a loon because if you tell about these other experiences, they will classify you as a loon and therefore you have to be politically correct because it will affect your credibility. You go exactly, only so yeah. far. If you go further, you cause a problem. And that's what we've seen with people that have gone further you know we, we we only take that position because experience has shown us that yes you know if you want to be taken seriously by a member of congress say you know you you've got to stick to certain kinds of information and you've got to talk about aviation safety and things that interest them and that they feel they can relate to without their own credibility being challenged right so you can't have generals talking about bizarre kinds of things and, you know, things that, that wander off from that sort of very official line or it doesn't, it's just not productive. The problem being that you may not understand what's really going on unless you encompass the entire picture. This is very much part and parcel of Dr. Valet's books. I was just going to say that I totally agree with you, but I think there's various steps and we're talking here about kindergarten levels, level step one. You know, which is just opening the door and getting official people to recognize that there are objects in the sky that we can't identify, and that's important. I mean, it's the most simple, basic level of this issue. A lot of us are way beyond that in terms of our understanding of this issue and in terms of what we know is associated with it. But you have to take step one first, and then once that door is open, then I think you can start bringing in the rest of it, which I agree with you entirely, is all important in terms of understanding it. My particular niche in all of this is to sort of go with this very basic level of just trying to open doors in the right places. You see what I'm saying? I think there's an order by which everything has to unfold. You cannot present the, the more bizarre information first or you're gonna, you, it will not, you can't get through. That's the problem. So given that you've been a journalist for so long, Leslie, I've got a question for you and I don't know anything about your religious background, so this will be kind of an interesting question. You look at the American political scene, right? And we have people running for president of the United States, most powerful, potentially the most powerful power position in the world. And if these people don't state a belief in a God, or in usually preferably a Christian God, they don't have a chance in the political arena, essentially, in this country. And that is a reality that many of us, regardless even of our religious backgrounds, we're a little uncomfortable with. So what is your opinion about the idea that, on one level, religion is used in the media in a way that establishes legitimacy and credibility for a candidate. But that same society, that same culture, now has reports of a visual phenomenon, something that even has trace physical elements on the ground. And there, they won't say 
you know, have an open mind. There it'll be, well, do you believe in that? What's your feeling about this? Having been in, in, involved in, in journalism for so long, how does that disconnect work in your opinion? It's a big disconnect. Yeah. It's a big disconnect. And it's, it, my feeling is it's one of intense frustration and just sort of frustration at the irrationality and the, uh, you know, of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you, you said it very, very well. It, it's a very, it's a bizarre disconnect. Why should it be that way? Yeah. It is, right? And so what I say to my friends who ask me this, I say, well, you know, religion has had 2,000 years of branding. So you know, you've got this. It's, it's know, ingrained, of, I guess. Well, it depends it's on which, fel- which religion it is. You know, it depends on which religion you're talking about. Like, for example, during the presidential primaries, we were talking about the fact that Mitt Romney was a Mormon. So what? The worst thing that could possibly happen would be for Barack Obama to be revealed as a Muslim. Not that most Muslims aren't peace-loving people. They are. But if he is not a traditional Christian, watch out. I could care less because I'm not religious. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I could care less about somebody's religion, and I don't think it should be so as important. Like the point you made, I don't think it should be important at all, personally. It's not to me. But anyway, I mean, but there is this huge disconnect in, with the... Uh, irrationality of religion versus the rationality of the UFO evidence, one is paid attention to and the other isn't. So so given that it's, reality, and not to be Downer Dave, which I a role I often play on this show. Downer Dave? Yeah. Downer Dave. Um, given that Ladies reality, and gentlemen, welcome to the Downer Dave show, coming exactly. away from the Paracast. Life's a bummer and then you die. So well, then you have did, to have upper you have to have upper gene and if you're gonna have downer Dave. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. That's our role. Jolly I take Jean. the uppers and he takes the oh. downers and we get completely crazy. No, we don't do that. Jolly Gene and I'm Downer Dave. That's Jolly Gene, then you have a good 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 balance there. Well, no, here's the thing, Leslie. You know, getting back to the irrationality of our culture. So we're operating in a framework where there is a severe amount of irrationality. Given that reality, what happens then if now you have a government operative come out and say, okay, we have a certain amount of information and we're going to release it. Do you think that the culture is going to be able to handle it? Or is the culture, part of the culture going to look at this and go, well, geez, they're demons. These are not, these are not extraterrestrials. They're demons. They're doing Satan's work. They're here to to mess with our culture. They're here to, to keep us down, to subjugate us. I mean, this is the concern I have in that, you know, ultimately, yeah. you know, what if the information came out and people go, well, you know what, we're going to just pull up the religious blinders and say, if you don't have Jesus coming or God coming or Mohammed or Buddha or the Messiah, if they're not along with you for this little press conference, then this is the devil's work. I yeah, mean, I mean, it's at, pretty nuts, yeah. Yeah. But, but the point is, if we're dealing with a physical phenomenon here, then hopefully it wouldn't have to be delegated to some kind of religious thing. But See, who knows? It depends on how it's presented and when and if. And, and I don't necessarily, you know, quite honestly, even though I'm working to try to get officials involved with this, I don't necessarily yeah. believe that it's the best thing necessarily. I mean, if I was a member of the government, I might have every good reason to try to, to not want this information to come out. So that's the irony of the whole thing. I certainly understand the perspective that if this is a scary thing that we have no control over, we don't know why they're here. Let's say the government doesn't know much about why they're here, who they are, what they're doing, what their purpose is. All they know is they can't do anything about it. And these people are, whatever they are, the phenomenon is is more advanced than we are. I can see totally why they wouldn't want to come out and say that. That's that's what I'm ultimately concerned about, and, and ultimately, you know, I think that this is going to present the biggest problem to any kind of revelation, 
There's lots of problems, and, you know, for some reason I find myself compelled nonetheless to want to engage, you know, our government in this because I think the evidence is so strong that it's there and that the world shouldn't be denied that information. It's sort of like there's an inherent freedom of information thing here, you know, where we, as, as John Podesta says, the public has a right to this information regardless of its implications. And, we, and he says that he believes the public can handle the truth. He has said that at one of our press conferences. So, you know, I sort of take that position, but I also totally understand the argument for uh, withholding it at the same time that I'm, I'm embarking on this journey here. It's an odd situation, but I can see both sides of it. Well, if you talk to the aliens and the aliens say, people of Earth, there is no God, what do you do then? Well, then they're demons. That's it. Then they're demons. Then basically the religious right goes, we told you so. Look, they're saying there's no God. They're demons. Do you think that the um, religious right would sort of overpower the the more rational thinking people that wouldn't wouldn't really mind that? Well, I guess if they said there was no God, I guess that's pretty loaded. Or they said, basically they said, look, we'll just eat bagels. We're Jewish. (laughs) Wait a minute. Do I think that? Oh, no. I mean, we don't know what's going to come of this, do we? Well, no. And we're trying to extrapolate using imperfect information at best. But, you know, to answer your question from before, do I think that the religious right could, you know, somehow squelch the rationality of this country? Uh, I don't know. The Reagan years. You know, the man, and I promise this wouldn't become the political show, but my Here God. Here we go again. Political announcement, political warning on the paracast. as a saint. I mean, man, ask any air traffic controller what they thought of that, and they were spinning, just right. spinning. I mean, so, you know, can, can the religious right or can any fundamentalist group take control of this country in a way that defies rationality? I submit that it's now happened more than once. And that concerns me as an American citizen. Mm-hmm. That concerns me deeply. Particularly in connection with this, the possible official acknowledgement of this, right? Yeah. Whether that could lead to something like that. Yeah. I think it's a it's kind of thing where there's enough weirdness swirling around this uh-huh. that I could see I could see someone taking political advantage of a disclosure in a way that nobody anticipates to shut the doors even further. Yeah, well, and, I think it's, it's a valid point. My God, and it's not something I'm happy about. Listen, I don't, I don't like potentially being right about that. I'd love to be wrong. I know, I agree. When you said, "What are the most disturbing?" One of the more disturbing aspects of it. Well, that's certainly one of them. Of the possibility of there being acknowledgement of this. You know, it's, uh, I don't even like to use the word disclosure. That word is so tainted for me now. I never use it. What's the word that you prefer? I just say official acknowledgement. I guess okay. that's just my personal thing. Oh, that's good. That's positive. I associate that word with sort of the whole, you know, movements that we've been talking about that I don't think really are approaching this in the right way. So yeah. that's just my personal thing. You know, maybe we should all quit what we're doing and just forget about it. <laughs> Gee, I, I just had that thought recently. <laughs> David we're gets that thought about every week. Yeah. Some, we might be moving towards a major disaster if this ever comes out, right? Well, the other point is here that disaster was. Whether there is a disaster may not be in our control. And that's the other issue here, which is if the so-called aliens or whatever they are, if they persist in doing what they're going to do, well, you know, you never know. They, exactly. They're in control. We have no control over that. 
Right. That's absolutely true. And maybe there'll be some event which will be absolutely unmistakable. And that's the, you know, we have no control over it. You're absolutely right, ultimately. And we have no control over what the U.S. government does with whatever they know also, with what this inner, if there is this inner government that controls all this information. And I don't know if there is or not, but if there is, we have no control over it. Certainly what, what we do, whether we open an official investigation or not, is it's not going to affect what they do. So it's really all be under control anyway. But, you know, when you get a hold of this kind of information, you got to do something. What else is there to do? Well, the question I would only worry about here, which is the one that we kind of takes us back to the beginning, which is the U.S. government says, okay, we'll look into this, all right. And then they hold what is called the sham investigation all over again, Project Blue Book Revisited. Let's maybe kind of go back full circle here for the few minutes we have left on the show. Take it full circle. How do you prevent the sham investigation? Do you bring Dr. Valet into it, or would they go to Dr. Valet saying, well, as... I don't know if he's a citizen of America at this point or whether he's still French citizen or not. I have to ask him. But say uh-huh. he's an American citizen, a naturalized American citizen, man born in France. And they say, as an American citizen, we want you to do what we're telling you. Okay? You're going to be sworn to secrecy and you're going to hold a sham investigation. You're going to say everything's on the up and up, but of course it's not. We're going to continue doing what we're doing. Well, I'm assuming Jacques Fillet would not agree to that, of course. Well, you know, I mean, they could apply certain pressures to anybody, the government, covertly. Well, I, I just don't know. I mean, you know, I'm, I see this official body that we're talking about as something so sort of on the surface and so transparent that it's not going to really be dealing with the level of information that has to be kept secret. And it, it's basically going to be tasked to investigate things that come up. For instance, the O'Hare Airport case. We would have just okay. had a nice report done about that, and they would have concluded that we didn't, there was something over the airport and we didn't know what it was. End of story. End of story. Mm. But, you know, I sort of see it as a much more kind of superficial thing, as a start towards something else. But, you know, more like what you have in France with Jepin. If anybody wants to see about how Jepin works in France, it's the same kind of thing. You know, it's just a method where you can apply the most sophisticated resources we have to investigating cases. And those resources aren't available to civilians. But it's not going to be something that's going to come out and disclose all this internal secret information that's been hidden for decades by the U.S. Government. I don't see it as doing that or even being concerned with that, really. Kind of unfortunate, but, I guess, but we would hope to get the best we can. All right, the Coalition for Freedom of Information, you've got data coming in here from NASA. Do you have another lawsuit pending? No, um, unfortunately, I, I, you know, we don't. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, I would like to try to go after the Army or pursue a little more of a Freedom of Information Act effort with the Army on the Ketzberg case because we know for sure that they were there. And so far, we haven't received any from them, and I'm hoping that we may have the time and resources to do that. Well, right now, we're, we're so involved with the NASA case, it's really all we can handle, one at a time. So our focus right now is to see where this one ends up, and then we'll decide what to do next. Are you getting financing from private individuals or what? Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of finance. I get various work that sustains various jobs, and, and um, you know, I'm a freelancer, so I can take on jobs that sustain the work that I'm doing. But um, it's not. we don't have any kind of a big budget right now that supports it. And if anybody wants knows anyone that wants to contribute, I have a 
nonprofit organization that can give um, take donations and apply them to this work and give tax deductions to people. So always looking for people that want to help on that level. Now, where would they get in touch with you? Say they have information, they have mm-hmm. stuff they want you to investigate, or they have a few dollars they want to write a check. Well, that would be great. You can just go on to the website address, and again, it's freedomofinfo.org, and in the contacts section of that website, you will find my email address, and I'd be delighted to hear from anybody who wants to email me. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we will have a link to the site for the Coalition for Freedom of Information at theparacast.com so we can pursue it further. Are you going to get into the next stage, which is writing books about what you've discovered so far, or are you rather not? Um, I don't know. It's possible because I've had some some possible book ideas that have come my way. And, um, you know, I've been so far so focused on doing articles as they come up, you know, doing news stories that and so busy with so many things. But um, it's a possibility. Let's say that it's a possibility that a book could come out of this work. But I'm pulled in so many different directions. I'm also working very hard with James Fox now on his film, you know, and, and I've got the NASA lawsuit and I've and another documentary film project I'm involved with. So it's only can do so much, you know, but I would love to do some more writing on this as time permits. I'm overwhelmed right now with what I'm doing. So. You sound like you've got a lot going. But this is not hurting your assignments in terms of getting traditional mainstream assignments from the various publications you work with? Well, I mean, I, I never get assignments. The way I always have worked is to do a story and then submit it to a newspaper. Okay. And even before I was doing UFOs, I was doing coverage of a whole range of topics, and I used to send stories around, and they, they'd always get published. But I always wrote them first because as a freelancer, you know, it's hard to get assigned a topic, and it's, it's actually got much harder for freelancers to get work with mainstream media than it was, say, 10 years ago, unfortunately. I mean, I started doing this in the early 90s. I had so much more access than I would have now to media. It's really gotten hard for freelancers, you know, especially with the Internet and everything. You know, newspapers aren't doing as well, and they just want to have their own staff do everything. And they're cutting back on staff. Exactly. You know, the reason I'm able to publish my stories is because I have certain editors at certain papers that I've cultivated a relationship with over the years. They're interested in my UFO stories, and so I tend to go back to the more or less the same people, and then they end up going out on the wires usually, which is Scripps Howard or the Boston Globe piece went out on the New York Times wires because it was a Boston Globe was owned by the New York Times. Right. I'm sort of set up, but um, it's very hard to go beyond that for any freelance person writing about any topic, I let alone that. UFOs. You know, huh. we all know yeah. that. We've all been the freelance writing route, David and myself. Hey, we're yes. just about out of time, and I want to thank you so much, Leslie Kane, who is the director of investigations for the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and it's of course freedomofinfo.org, and we'll have the link over at the Paracast.com website, so you don't have to write down that complicated thing. Thank you so much for joining us this week on The Paracast. Thanks very much for having me. It was enjoyable. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. Paracast.